brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechatsplus.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, tour videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss, so become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. Masters almost surely have a plan There's clearly maybe something there beyond the realm of man Until we've thoroughly tested every last close-chested view Find the more you think you know, the less you really do Where would we be without THC? We know the lying to us, just don't know to what degree Where would we be without THC? All right, higher side chatters, we know the political, corporate, and controller classes have never had our best interests at heart, and we live in a world awash with weaponized campaigns to keep us down. Fluoride in the water, other chemicals in the food and sky, and most recently, pulsing radiation waves throughout the so-called civilized world. And as dire and obvious as these problems might be to us enlightened few, we have to remember to have patience with our friends, family, and fellow citizens because one of the most effective and long-standing campaigns we've been victim to is the finely-tuned systematic brainwashing by think tanks and behavioral scientists that has taken over the education system. Because if you want to control a people, start with the kids. And in a generation, you've got the indoctrinated, flag-waving, authority-trusting, obedient worker class you always wanted. That has been the goal the Capstone Cabal has been working towards longer than any of us have been alive. And today's guest, Charlotte Thompson Izzerbeet, knows this all too well. If you're not familiar with Charlotte's background, she served as Senior Policy Advisor in the Office of Educational Research and Improvement for the U.S. Department of Education during the first Reagan administration, where she blew the whistle on a major technology initiative that would control curriculum in America's classrooms called Project Best, Better Education Skills Through Technology. She is also a former school board director in Camden, Maine, and was co-founder and research analyst for Guardians of Education for Maine from 1978 to 2000. She has also served in the American Red Cross in Guam and Japan during the Korean War, in the United States Foreign Service in Belgium, and in the Republic of South Africa. Charlotte is also a speaker and writer who has been taken on the education indoctrination issue for most of her life best known for a 700-plus page book that I consider probably the best resource for this conspiratorial campaign entitled The Deliberate Dumbing Down of America, A Chronological Paper Trail. She also has some incredible insights into the Skull and Bones Secret Society of Yale University, as her father and grandfather were both members of the Order. A fascinating woman who's been working on our behalf for decades, a whistleblower in the truest sense of the word, and a real education advocate. Charlotte, welcome to the higher side. Well, thank you so much. That was a marvelous, concise record of my wanderings around since I got back after 20 years abroad with the Foreign Service, etc. I had the biggest shock in my life, right, in the 70s when I innocently put my children in the public school system, which people still think it really is geared to education, but from 1965 on with the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, it changed. Mm-hmm. That's when they decided that they had to put the method in, which would be useful for corporate fascist communist workforce training, which is going in now. 
across the board with charter schools and school choice. So when I got back, I really saw the beginning of it. I couldn't quite understand why our school superintendent, who was out of Harvard, right, change agent, he wanted to put in the individualized education, which is, you know, no grades and children all working on their own and at their own pace. And I thought that was getting rid of competition, et cetera. I really knew nothing about what I know now that it's the Soviet system. Mm. <laughs> no competition. We got a hold of later on the Soviet education plan. A farmer in Ohio happened to be looking for stuff about seeds. And he found this document on Soviet education. It was a report by American educators who were sent over in 1959 by the Commissioner of Education to the Soviet Union to study their system. Right after Eisenhower had signed the first agreement between the United States and the Soviet Union on education, cultural affairs, etc. So that was a tremendous find by this farmer. And it's at my son's website, AmericanDeception.com. At the time, the American educators were still pretty good, right? And they came back and they said, well, this certainly, because you've got some of that text in my book of their report, this is total opposite of what we've been involved in for years, traditional academic education. So they really didn't like it that much. I will go on to explain how I found out, but I'm just trying to redefine education for people. And we can thank Donald Trump and Betsy DeVos. And of course, before that, all the leftists who were putting in the communist system, it wasn't just the method. The method itself was put in in 1965, the Skinner method, performance-based. That's when they changed. Right. From what you know in your head to what you can do, how you can perform like an animal. Mm-hmm. And so when I got into the school board, one day I was complaining about things like lifeboat games. The children were pretending that they were in, in a ship and the ship was going down and there was only one lifeboat that took 10 people and there were 15 people. So they have to decide who's going to live and who's going to die, that kind of thing. I didn't like these programs. And most of these programs at that time I did not know because I didn't know it was going to be in the Department of Ed later, were coming out of what would subsequently be my old office, my new office, right? So I've been out of the country 20 years. What has happened to my country? You know, so I get a phone call, and I'm always terrified when I get a phone call because usually I was going to get beat up. Mind you folks, this is 1976. In Camden, Maine, right on the beautiful coast of Maine, where nobody would ever dream such things were going on, except we were about, according to a bird, if I were a seagull, I could get to Osborne, North Haven, etc., in probably two minutes. And that's where all of the insiders live. You know, you have Rockefellers, uh, Watson, former ambassador of the Soviet Union. You have all these corporate ties, these big business guys. They live there, multi-billionaires. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that they had a lot to do with making my little school district, Camden, and then it became a district, Camden-Rockport, certainly one of the major pilots for change in education in the United States. I've often thought we were it, but I don't want to get the gold star. Thank you. (laughs) But what I saw was so devastating, including the health education that had, this was at least for 11th graders, it would be first grade now, that the students should understand the three types of sexual intercourse, including with animals. Hmm. Hear me? Yeah, that's a, that's a shocker. That is a shocker, which relates to everything we are looking at right now, including the great Dutch banker spilled the beans, remember? Yes, I did see that video. That type of thinking. That blew my mind. Yes. So at that point, I had, I was on the school board, but I'd also formed a group called Maine Conservative Union, which was very traditional. And we had, you know, military people, lawyers, et cetera, in Maine joined together. We tried to stop, give away the Panama Canal. We were opposed to regional government big. We were fighting that. 
But then when this came across my desk with the health education, we decided to disband this wonderful political group. We had Maine Conservative Union, at least to merge it. And it became Guardians of Education for Maine. And then I was still on the board and I get a call. And usually it's from leftist change agents, really new people in town, none of the old time Mainers. They all love me. When they had to move out because the taxes got so high, because of the newcomers coming in, you know that story. When they had to move out, I couldn't get elected dog catcher because I lost my base, which were true, good, great Mainers, lobstermen, et cetera, who could count and think and, you know, understood reality. And so I'm getting all these nasty phone calls, bad articles written about me. I hate children in the local newspaper. So this woman, I was scared. I answered and she said, I just want to thank you for what you're doing on the school board. And I thought, huh? (laughs) What's wrong here? And I said, well, thank you very much. And she said, well, you're absolutely correct. She said, I've been a master teacher. I've worked all around the world. And you're going against everything properly, but I don't think you understand what you're looking at. And I said, no, I don't understand (laughs) what I'm looking at. And she said, well, I'm going to pay for you to go for change agent training down east. Down east is going north, which is very strange. That's how we are in Maine. And she paid $100 for me to go. That was a lot back then for her to pull out of her pocket. She had taught all over the world. Her name was Selma Ham. I should give her credit on some interview. Yep, she's gone now. So she paid for me to go. I went to this in-service training, a lot of very nice teachers and principals from our own school district. And I want to point out, there's still a lot of great educators out there. Most of them are out of it. But at that time, you probably had 70% good in the 70s. You probably have about 7% good now, huh? Hmm. But because they've been through all the brainwashing. Actually, I was going through brainwashing that day myself. So I get there, and the guy's using this textbook that was put together by Ronald Havelock, a professor out of the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. And it was called Innovations in Education. And it was developed. He got the money from the U.S. Office of Education at that time, which subsequently became the department where I worked. It was paid for by the U.S. Office of Ed, and it was a training manual, and he was using that at the in-service training. So he was training us how to identify the resistors in our community, Mm. and that would be the resistors to sex ed that we didn't need. We didn't even have a pregnancy in town at that time, right? Drug education, we'd have a problem with that either. All these programs that they gave us that came out of what was suddenly become my office in the U.S. Department of Ed were not necessary. They were necessary because they caused the problem they claimed to be getting rid of. And I have a direct quote on that in my book from the guidance counselors Mm -hmm. where they said right in there that we will use death education. That was one of the big fancy ones, right? Take the kids to the cemetery, lie down on tombs and to the mortuary and all that stuff. That didn't last long. Parents really did not like that. They were trying to get death at in because that's all the different religions, et cetera, and the funeral services. It's all globalism, right? They said right there, the guidance counselors, we will use death education to change the attitudes and values of the students towards death and dying. The same way we used sex education, used past tense, right? to change their attitudes and values towards sex and various sexual practices. Mm. How I ever got my hands on that guidance counselor's journal, I don't know, but I did. (laughs) And so that tells you exactly what all these programs that had nothing to do with academics were put in there for, and that was deliberate. They created this culture that we have with our young people banned hundreds of thousands, millions of young people Mm -hmm. who have lost their way because of the public school curriculum. When we were trying to identify the resistors, I knew that was me. I was a resistor. When I came back from the Far East, I was out there during the Korean War. I think I mentioned that with the 
Strategic Air Command in Guam and northern Japan. And when I came back from that assignment, I was on a freighter, Vietnam, going from Hong Kong to Marseille. It was a month I was on that freighter in third class. And so I had the opportunity to talk to refugees coming out of communist China and Vietnam. And the food was marvelous, as you can imagine, even in third class. They told me these ghastly stories about one woman that was coming out of China. She was taking her daughter to the Conservatory of Music in Paris to study piano. And she said that her grandfather was an opponent to the Mao Zedong, the regime, and that they cut his hands off. He was a pianist. Cut his hands off. He resisted. Vietnam woman, her grandfather was involved in the municipal government, and he was opposed, too, to what the communists were doing. So they cut his head off, and they marched it around town in a pole. And all of this was basically to warn people, do not resist. So here I'm being taught in the change agent training up in Searsport, Maine, how to identify the resistors. <laughs> well, I was a resistor, so here I'm being taught to identify myself. I never got over it. Mm. You know, we formed Guardians of Education for Maine. We stopped the horrible health education, you know, learning about the three types of sexual intercourse, including with animals. We stopped that program in a third of the districts. This was in the 70s. Then I went down thinking Ronald Reagan was going to save the world. And I had got this job, which I had access to everything, past, present, future. And the past documents were very important because they were left behind, stupidly, by, you could say, the former president of University of Chicago or Stanford or Harvard. My position, senior policy advisor, that slot, had been filled by these very communist types in that office. You understand what I mean? Prior to me. Yeah. These were the people who had that job. These were big shots. Mm -hmm. And they left everything behind. So I had access to all these documents. Unbelievable. What I, I mean, and then I get involved, you know, of course, I'm looking what Reagan is putting in. And it's all the school choice, charter schools, vouchers, the Skinner method for the workforce training, of course. And other terrible programs that I did not approve of. The Nation at Risk was the phoniest great big bandwagon. They got everybody to think that education at that point in time was a terrible failure. And it wasn't. It wasn't that bad. It was pretty darn good. And I think Sandia Institute, you know, they do all that research. An admiral, I can't remember his name, he wrote a report on this and pointed out that that was the biggest fake report that was ever put together by T.H. Bell, who Reagan appointed as Secretary of Education. Actually, Bell was very close to my major enemy right now, whose name is Edward Meese, who has been with the Heritage Foundation, which is also, that's the Trojan horse, we'll get into that. Right. Been with the Heritage Foundation since probably 1980, and he's still there. And he's all involved in supporting the community-oriented policing system, which I am also fighting. So I ended up in that office, and I came across this Better Education Skills Through Technology grant that was putting the development of courseware for the curriculum for every school in the nation. And I don't know that I would have done much with it, that I would have leaked it had I not come upon a page that said confidential. And I thought, hmm? I mean, look, the U.S. Department of Ed is unconstitutional in the first place. What is this confidential page? And uh, it said right there, this federal government, right? What we can control and manipulate at the local level. Wow. And I thought, <gasps> having been on a local school board, I thought, <gasps> wow, they put it right there, right in my face. And it said selection of task force members, curriculum content, everything. And I thought then, I was going to leak it anyway because of the technology part, which is all Skinner operant conditioning, computer stuff. Huh? But when I saw that, I thought, okay, that's it. I got everything out of my office before I leaked it. I was given an office by a really nice gal 
who I always remember, she helped me start the Maine Conservative Union. And she ultimately turned. She met some conservative, whatever you want to call it. They're really Trotskyites, okay? They're Dominionists, whatever they are. She met this guy and all of her wonderful values and everything that I knew her as when she'd visited me in Maine and helped me start the Maine Conservative Union. She got me into the Department of Ed, too. She was White House personnel. And so she, this is before she met this guy that she fell off the cliff and became really what I consider our enemy. She got me a little off the White House. She worked with me on my letter to Reagan, eight-pager. And she, believe it or not, was able to get the letter through to him. Mm. That was very difficult to do at that time, even if you had a code number. So she was very responsible for that and my getting into the department itself. Now she's high up in heritage, and I don't even dare talk to her. Can you imagine? This is someone I had so much regard for, because heritage is the Trojan horse, so we could talk about that later until the end of time. So I go home. I never got an answer from the president. I waited. I'm really skipping around here. 35 years? (laughs) I guess I'm pretty patient. Yeah. I waited 35 years to write the Reagan Library about why I didn't get an answer. Did they have anything on the record? Well, by golly, they did. And they sent it to me. They sent me a copy of a handwritten note from President Reagan to Edwin Meese, who I'm just talking about, who is a big mole everywhere at all times from 1980 to 2000. What are we, 18? Reagan wanted to meet with me, but Meese blocked it. Ah. So I found that out 35 years later. Wow. Actually, you can find that. All you have to type in Patriots or Manchurian Candidates. It's a big article I wrote, which has the picture of the note from Reagan to Meese. It's a very important one. I wrote it warning people and warning Trump. Hmm. Vet your candidates. Be careful. Look who you are appointing. Right. So you got fired for leaking this document about Project Best, Best Education Skills Through Technology. So how frustrating has it been for you that you see a lot of these control tools that you knew about decades ago, now they're rolled out to the cell phones and the tablets in recent years. And you see the state of kids today when you've been talking about this technology-based conditioning for 30 years. I mean, this Pavlovian psychological response reward system, today this is social media. That's right. I have, and I never understood that much about Skinner and operant conditioning prior to going into the department. What happened is, One day, a letter came across my desk, and it was from a teacher by the name of Ann Herzer from Arizona. She was considered to be a wonderful teacher. She was teaching a lot of the Mexican kids and all down, this is in Phoenix, and doing a wonderful job with them. Well, they dragged her into the Skinner training. The first program was called the Exemplary Center for Reading Instruction out of Utah. And she and her friends, good teachers, had to go through this, and they thought, oh, what is this? They even had, I've even got the documents. They were ordering supplies, the different little booklets and all, how to train pigeons, how to train animals. These were the materials that were being ordered by these teachers for the Exemplary Center for Reading Instruction program. Well, anyway, Herzer understood completely because they were not letting them sit together they knew the teachers that were, huh, what's this? You know, they'd move them around and all this. And so she quit teaching. Then I was in the department, a real dodo. I really didn't know much about Skinner, although I found out a bit because I went to some brown bag luncheons in the basement of the department where the big honcho, William Spady, Mr. Mastery Learning, was having a little session down there showing people how wonderful the Skinner method is. So I had seen that. But anyway, what happens is this letter comes across my desk. It was sent from Ann Herzer, the teacher, to Eldon Rudd, congressman, in regard to this horrible program. They were experimenting on sort of the inner city kids, you know, the Mexicans or whatever he got, whatever. And she had been doing a wonderful job teaching them to read and everything. And then she had to do this. She had doctor's statements about how the kids were throwing up, getting sick. They had hives. 
And it was all attached to this package that she sent through to Eldon Congressman Eldon Rudd. Well, that package came across my desk. I looked at it. I didn't know her yet. And I thought, well, I better do something about that. But I think I'll wait until I go home. And I'll call her from home. I'm glad I did because she's very hot-headed. I love her. But, you know, she's a very hot-headed person. And I said, I've got this document here, you know, this curriculum. And your letter is fantastic. What on earth is going on? And then I made the big mistake of saying, oh, I don't think Secretary T.H. Bell knows anything about that. And she blew. She said, you're kidding. He's responsible. Hmm. Reagan brought him in because Ed Meese wanted him. I thought, oh, what have I run into with this teacher? Hmm? <laughs> well, I didn't talk to her again. I said, oh, well, yeah, maybe. And so that was sort of the end of that. But then I managed to get myself fired because I leaked the document. I went home. I called her. And we had this long talk. And I became very close to her, like sisters. She had all the documents. Her father-in-law was a doctor. And he had all the animal laboratory training materials, et cetera, and what it does to animals. She was a real expert. All I have to say is she educated me. Mm-hmm. So anyway, after I was out, I wrote a little book called Back to Basics Reform. In 1985, this was, or Skinnerian International Curriculum. Necessary for United States participation in a one-world socialist government scheduled for the early years of the 21st century. Yeah. Well, it's only 39 pages, and it's a hot potato. It's on my website at DeliberateDumbingDown.com. Free. Hmm? Well, I wrote that, and then all of a sudden, I noticed that the conservative movement, they hated that book. They boycotted it. Bang. Bennett, the whole crowd, you know, Finn Schlafly, Phil Schlafly, who was a good friend of mine, basically. I still have high regard for the work she did prior to getting involved in education. Phyllis did good work in the political field, defense and all. But anyway, it was Eagle Forum that got the word out to boycott Back to Basics. Because, you see, it happened under Ronald Reagan. I wasn't going after him in it. I was just telling the country, the parents, what was happening and what was coming down the pike. For instance, that critical thinking is not a really great way to go. Lenin defined critical thinking. Lenin. Everybody thinks it's so great, critical thinking. (laughs) No. No. He said, it's non-absolutist evolutionary thinking. Everything evolves. Well, that sounds okay, you know, to some people. But when this started, the critical thinking movement, there were a lot of teachers that were opposed to it because they knew that they were trying to change those teachers' attitudes, values, and beliefs. Hmm. So, yes. This is interesting. The editor of my book, who is absolutely brilliant, I give her great credit for what she did to get that book together, and the publisher both. She's from Georgia, and she took that little book back to basics, little 38-pager, and her butcher down the street read it and said, wow, that's fantastic. Oh, boy, that's a 38-page bomb. So... The editor said to Schlafly, because Eagle Forum was saying, nobody's going to understand what she's saying in there. And so she said, well, the butcher down the street understood it just fine. (laughs) That book, had it been allowed to get out, I'm not kidding you, we never would have had what we have now. We've gotten rid of academics. We're going into workforce training, the Soviet system. One of the educators in the Department of Education, I think, got $4 million, a grant doing a paper on the Soviet polytechnical education system. So the Department of Ed has been up to its eyeballs in that, knowing that school choice and charters is the only way to get it, because charter schools, you don't have an elected board. So the parents can't complain. Hmm. At least in the public school system, it's the same curriculum. The charter schools are going to have to have the identical curriculum that the public schools have because they're federally funded. And I have the original legislation coming out of the Department of Health and Human Services, you know, on daycare standards, huh? Daycare is any institution that takes care of children between whatever age and age for 12 hours or 14 or whatever of the day. 
And it says that because it's federally funded, everything that goes on during that period must conform with federal requirements or else the money is pulled. That means curriculum, which you have hanging on the walls, even what you eat. So these pathetic parents, and I don't blame them because the Heritage Foundation led them down this path, they all went up against Common Core. That was the biggest diversion our nation has ever had, and I say that unqualified. Biggest diversion that ever happened. They got the parents off on the diversion there, Five Common Core, which we've had ever since 1965 with the National Assessment, just keeps changing and now it has computers, right? Right. That diversion kept the parents from understanding to fight against charter schools with unelected boards. Mm. Anyway, that was my office. And from that time on, we went all the way up until the year 2000 with fantastic researchers who were doing their own research. We would all help each other. No matter what, someone got sick, the other person would take the radio interview. We didn't have all the research that we have now. It was a lot of work that had to be done back then. Great patriots, some dead now. Now we've got these newbies like Heritage and Pioneer, Heartland, you name it, all these groups that are controlled by the neoconservative Trotskyites. And their goal is Trotskyites. Maybe hard for you to believe, but that's the truth. And I have the proof. One thing that happened was when, in the mid-90s, I wrote two things. One was I wrote Phyllis Schlafly in regard to the charter schools. I said, Phyllis, be careful. You've got eagles in every state who really hate this. You've got to support them. She wouldn't. But attached to that particular letter, it's at my website. It says, it's a beat to Schlafly. That's what it is. Attached to that letter I wrote, which was an eight-pager, explaining to her this is the loss of representative government through charter schools. It's the implementation of the Soviet polytech system, workforce training lifelong for our children, no choice, like Eugene Boyce in Georgia said. In communist countries, they do not train for jobs that don't exist. Mm -hmm. So it's the quota system, but whatever. That is out of Professor Eugene Boyce's mouth. Well, I was trying to tell Phyllis that this is what charter schools are all about. Well, she wouldn't listen, but attached to that letter to her, I had about 30 pages of letters from Secretary of Education Lamar Alexander, William Bennett, Chester Finn, Empower America, Larry Kudlow, all the libertarians, etc., supporting the Washington Education Association's plan for charter schools hmm. and also the lifelong community education agenda. I have all these letters with their signatures. All these people that Americans think are great, you know what you call them? Conservatives. <laughs> so I knew then, I sent that to Phyllis. I sent her my letter, which explained a lot. Now, we got a hold of that document. It was one of those flukes. The editor of my book and another friend, Australian gal, brilliant researcher, they went to an Empower America meeting. This is a big conservative group, Empower America. People can look it up. I don't know if it exists anymore, but that was in the 90s. And they were late getting there. So this top change agent educator who's running the show, or whoever it was with Empower America, probably real leftist type, I don't know, he said, oh, well, you know, sorry, you missed the first presentations. Look, don't worry about it. I'll send you the whole packet. And he did. Wow. And we've got it. We've got it. We have it. We have the so-called conservatives who say they hate the NEA, they hate the public education system, et cetera. We have them all going on board with the NEA's plan for school choice and charters. How many people know that the NEA supports school choice and charters? So I'm trying to say, I mean, what I have gone through with these conservatives, you know, I'm a slow learner. <laughs> Once I learn, I've got it, but I'm always looking positive. But now I know that the Trojan horse in this country, that doesn't mean I like the left. 
I can't stand them, but I've always felt that way. Why would I have started the main conservative union in the 70s? It's the only really conservative group the state ever had. But then Fair Heritage knocked it out, right? Because they didn't want a really conservative group in this state. And then my son gets two murder attempts. Last one really almost did him in. And Heritage Foundation in Maine has a luncheon. He goes there and tries to tell the truth. Get people to know because it was a complete boycott across the country about those two murder attempts. The last one was he was really dead. So he wants to go to the luncheon and try to explain to the people what happened. Well, he starts talking. He's told to shut up and sit down. Hmm. He's a Marine combat vet versus Gulf War. How do you like that? So they are really dirty. Yes. That really tells you how dirty they are. Absolutely. And it has been just such a wild ride for you. And you have a really impressive resume. And, you know, in Deliberate Dumbing Down, in the book, you refer to this education conspiracy as a war. And to quote you, you write, the reason Americans do not understand this war is because it has been fought in secret in the schools of our nation, targeting our children who are captive in classrooms. The wagers of this war are using very sophisticated and effective tools. Yes. And I wanted to ask you if you could maybe talk about those tools themselves that people might not be aware of. I will. I have an article. It's called Devil Seven Prong Fork. It's probably my favorite. Yes. This explains it a bit. I was doing an interview like this about 25 years ago, I think. And beating up on the audience like your poor audience. We can take it. And saying, come on, folks, get on board. Don't you understand what I'm trying to say? So then it was over. And so then I thought, you know, those poor people, I keep telling them this over and over. It was like a bolt out of the sky. It's really not their fault. Then I got sort of mad at myself and I said, well, it is their fault. You know, I was arguing with myself. And then I realized, no, because as you said, they have done this, I call this devil's seven-pronged fork, but it really is about 12 prongs now. But I'll go through the major ones. One is, of course, gradualism, frog in the cold water, right? Heat it up slowly. People don't even know they're fried. The other is semantic deception, like we were talking about critical thinking. <laughs> Watch out. Or some of these basics. Basics? Oh, yeah. Reading and writing. Oh, no. That's globalism for them. The global basics, right? So you have semantic deception, you have the frog, you have semantic deception, you have the dialectic, of course, the Hegelian dialectic. You know what I'm talking about, but your listeners may not. Right. And I finally realized I had to do it easy way. After I was married, my husband, we were living in Europe, in Belgium, and I was doing the laundry, and I threw a red sweater in with his white shirt. And naturally, you know, he was not happy. <laughs> and so he said, pretty politely, he said, you know, look, honey, I know you're busy and everything, but look, you just don't touch the laundry anymore. You don't have to do laundry for me. Well, my two sons were very young then. They heard that, too. And they said, yeah, Mom, don't you ever dare do our laundry again. Well, that gets the audience. Lucky you. That is what you call the dialectic. Mm-hmm. Now, what if I hadn't wanted to do laundry again, ever? Right. That's just what I'd do, wouldn't I? Mm -hmm. I'd throw a red sweater in with my husband's white shirt, create the problem. He screams. He says, don't you ever dare do laundry again. And that is really the dialectic. You create the problem, people scream, and you impose the solution you want. Now, had I been really wanting never to do laundry again, that's exactly what I would have done because the solution would have been I'd never have to do laundry again. Right. So the dialectic is key, and you see it every day, everywhere. I'm sure you see it. George Hegel, you know, I don't talk about the German philosophers, but this is too much for people to deal with. But actually, there's nothing going on in this country right now, I don't think, except maybe in the local community, right? Which isn't. The Hegelian dialectic. The media is loaded with it. So that's very important. Then we go on to endless money supply, the feds, right? We go on to the controlled media. I always use the David Rockefeller quote in Baden Button, you know, where he thanked the top journalists and all, TV, et cetera, paper, for keeping his 
world government agenda under wraps. We know that. Yeah. He said that in Baden-Baden, 1992. And then you have, of course, the Federal Reserve, plenty of money. I may have mentioned that. Then you have the Skinner Method, which is dog training. It's not education. But you can't have the workforce training, the Soviet polytech system going in without that method. Now, as I said, or maybe I didn't, Ronald Reagan signed the agreements with Gorbachev in 1985 to merge the two education systems. They were called educational, cultural, and scientific agreements, and they also dealt with planners going back and forth to the Soviet Union, municipal planning, regional government, which is communism. So he signed that agreement. Now, the Heritage Foundation was solidly behind that. In fact, I think they set up an office in Moscow after. So that's one of those things that I have on Heritage, right? But then we, all of us patriots back then, we had a great band of people. We put an ad in the Washington Times. We paid $5,000 for that to stop it, but we couldn't educate people because all the conservative groups were boycotting every single thing we tried to do to let the country know that these agreements had been signed. Now, the first one was signed by Eisenhower in 58, as I mentioned earlier. Then people said the Soviet Union was dead. <laughs> you know, even after the agreements were signed, we had Russian teachers in our schools here in Maine teaching the teachers how to put workforce training in. Mm. How many people know this stuff? Not many. That was in 1987. It's all going in now. It's all going in under standards-based education. I mean, people don't understand that, you know, they can give it any name they want. Performance-based, results-based, competency-based, outcome-based, standards-based, you name it. It's all the same. It's all Skinner, Pavlov. So it's going in across the country now. Thank you, Donald Trump and Betsy DeVos. When he did that, he broke the back of our constitutional system of government, basically because we will have no representation. Mm -hmm. Look, a lot of people don't know this. The Department of Education budget this year exceeds that of defense. Now, I'm sorry, I have to qualify this. That's at the national, state, and local level combined. Education. It is over $1 trillion. Now, the defense budget is lagging behind a little bit with $900 billion. Now, what do your children not know? Everything. All they have had happen is be brainwashed, to have filthy, disgusting morals and values, have everything their parents ever taught them ripped out from them. It's not their fault. It's the fault of, well, you know what? It's the fault of the people who boycotted this information. Mm. And I'm mad. I hear you. And you mentioned workforce training. Of course, that was my experience. Felt like all I was doing was being prepared to get some shit job. Right. And now we hear this talk about cash for grades. I mean, this is it directly. Like, just pay kids for good obedience. Oh, yes. So they're ready for their cashier's job and another paycheck. You're right. I mean, Arn Duncan had that nerve under Obama, to recommend paying the kids for good grades. Look, I found out, I don't know why I always have to find out these things. I am a weird <laughs> bird. Why? Huh? In 1981, no, I'm sorry, 2001. <laughs> yeah, I am getting older. I picked up the local paper, Brunswick, Maine, which we used to have the big naval air station here, the best in the world, really great. You don't need more because the leftists got rid of that one. But there was an article in the paper about the community-oriented policing system. It said that the police, and remember, this is going in all over the country now, and this is what Edwin Meese supports, and this is what Charlotte Israby hates. This is the East German spy-on-your-neighbor system. It's a public-private partnership right. between the either dumb people or commie leftists in a community who aren't elected, working with the police to make a nicer little environment for the little community. You usually have about eight or ten in a big city of these little stations for the cops program. Well, anyway, when I found out about it, it said that this new program in Brunswick, Maine, we're going to have the police are giving gold medals to citizens who do good deeds. 
And I thought, hmm, who determines? And then I read a little further down. And I said, the police determine what the good deed is. Uh, and I thought, yeah. And then I write this letter in opposition. I was thinking to myself, boy, I'm not going to get much of a gold medal for this one. Huh? <laughs> if they published my letter in the paper. And I started checking it out. And I've been trying to warn people about the community-oriented policing system. I'm not the first one to do it. I'm one of the first, I guess. Uh, Lieutenant Wirtz, San Diego police detective. Mm. It's on my website, all this stuff, under cops. He wrote a wonderful article about this. And he quoted from a sociologist way back in the 70s. He's the founder of community-oriented policing system, and he's a communist. And his name is Trojanowicz, T-R-O-J-A-N-O-W-I-T-Z. And Trojanowicz says that the new word for our existence is community. We have to get rid of the family and the old values. What you're looking at right now, this stinking mess, huh? Mm -hmm. I hope you don't mind my language. It's not really too bad, is it? No, let it fly. So then I find out from the a selectman on the Brunswick City Council, who's one of us, he sends me through the papers at the board meeting where the police came in and they were all setting up this new system. Well, it was really great to have those papers. But, of course, they didn't mention Trojanowicz. It's all total quality management, which, again, is communism. And I found out about that in my job because when I was down in the department, the National Training Labs, well, actually, the reason Maine is so bad is we have the National Training Labs in Bethel, Maine, where everybody goes skiing. That was set up by OSS types way back when, and that is the group process, which is all the sensitivity training crap and everything. And they send doctors, lawyers, everybody from all over the world, teachers, of course, nurses, all over the world go there for human relations training. Well, that's sensitivity training. That's the group process. That's China. By the way, we have a very good article. Of, it's in my book from Mary Berry, the head of the National Education Association in the 70s. She went over to China, and then she came back. We've got direct quotes from her. And she says, we're moving slowly towards the Chinese system. Another one, my Australian friend, went to a community education meeting in the 70s in Washington. Don't forget, community education and cops are connected. So that's her Jonowitz we're looking at, too. And Wirtz, who is such an honest, wonderful, great detective, who outed the whole thing. But anyway, so she goes to this conference on community ed in Washington, and there are all these guys and gals there, and uh, there's a community educator. He's from Alaska, and he's telling all the educators, about the importance of community education. So one of the members of the audience says, well, what is it? And he said, it's the Chinese communist system. Okay, now I've seen it. I know it is. Hmm. Mary Berry said it was. The head of the NEA. All these quotes are in my book. So we know the system is pretty bad, but... You know, there's a lot of young people listening who maybe are in their early 30s. Maybe they have young kids of their own. Are there any programs that you would advise them to look into or any advice you would have for someone? Yes. Maybe they're homeschooling or maybe they're not. But if they've got their kids in the public school system, let me tell you something. I had a, my daughter-in-law, my two grandchildren were put into a Rudolf Steiner school, I, you know, new age stuff, Waldorf. And I was upset about it, but I let them do it. I just, I'm not going to help pay for it. Thank you. Well, it took about five years for her to get smart and get them out. So they're back in the public school system, <laughs> the same school system where I was on the school board, right? Mm. And the kids are really happy. At least they're happy. And I haven't heard any horror stories yet, but I have the old math books from this professor whose name escapes me at Columbia in 1932. He was considered the number one on math skills. And I had that series of books in the 70s. And I remember teaching, my kids were learning multiplication tables, division, all this stuff, you know, how many quarts of Clorox do you need for a 3,000 square foot room? And, you know, problem solving 
it's seven years of this, and he really truly was considered the number one professor in mathematics in the United States at the time. Well, of course, they've got a dozen eggs for 20 cents because they haven't updated. But that is a series of books. They're very expensive now. I want my son, Sam, who has the website, AmericanDeception.com, he also put up the list of all the members of the order at Yale, Skull and Bones. <laughs> we often wonder if that might not have something to do with attempting to kill him twice, huh? That's not the American deception food. All the names were their backgrounds. Nobody ever had that before. But anyway, that mass program and other, I think it's called Quest of a Nation by Constanza Boyle, I think her name is, a wonderful history, American history. And then we have there's a marvelous book written by Matt James. One of his sons is high up, went to MIT and all, all involved in extraordinarily high mathematical, scientific research, etc. That's one of his children. Matt James wrote in a marvelous book about homeschooling. Then we have Sam Blumenfeld's Alpha Phonics. Now, Sam was a very close friend of mine. He wrote the foreword to my book. He's a great writer himself, great scholar as far as American education is concerned, Samuel Blumenfeld. And he has his wonderful reading program, Alpha Phonics. He's dead now. He died three years ago. Too bad. So I do get that out to people. Now, homeschoolers, as well as ones who have the children in school, I use that math program with my own boys. My son, Sam, the one I'm talking about, is now 50. And I remember we had a little place on the lake, and I was always worried that that curriculum was going to fall in the water. But I'd get them out there on the float, <laughs> and I'd make them do their multiplication tables and everything else, you know, and we'd have a lot of fun. But they went through that, and that is what the parents need. Mm. You know, they're going to tell you, oh, you don't need that now. You can use calculators. This is practical stuff that anyone who's good in building houses or working or, you know, whatever, they know that. You know, how are you going to clean a 3,000-square-foot gym if you don't know how much Clorox you need? <laughs> right, hmm? right, right. You have to measure it, don't you? I think, maybe. Huh? So there is, in my book, a teacher. He was invited to a meeting of the Progressive Education Association. And he thought it meant something good. He didn't know it was communist. And he went. And he did a little talk on math, I think. And he was called into a meeting at 2 a.m. the next morning, right after the conference, by John Dewey, the head of the CFR education part, and I think Thorndike, who used to train pigeons. And they said, oh, his name is O. Nelson. First initial is O. I don't know what that's for. Nelson. And they said they were really interested in his presentation, and they wanted to talk to him about new math, new math curriculum. So he tells them what he thinks is important, and they say, Nelson, wake up. That's exactly what we don't want. Okay, so... I was hesitant about putting that in my book because I didn't, you know, oh, Nelson's dead. Well, finally, I found a friend of his, another teacher. I wanted to document it down in Florida. And I talked to the guy. He said, oh, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yes, that is the true story. and You could publish it. So there you have at the Progressive Education Association meeting in what, 1940-something, this math teacher being called in at 2 a.m. by these big shots, really big shots, John Dewey, Thorndike, and the head of CFR education section. They think he's so smart, they want him to do some work for him and put the new math in. Well, they got it because they didn't listen to it, huh? Hmm. But that is an extraordinary story in itself. There's just so many like that. I mean, a lot of the stuff I'm talking about is in my book. But the tragedy now is that the system's in. People have become accustomed to the word, you have to have standards. Whose? Who sets the standards? Exactly. I got a hold of the standards in 1971. 
They came out of the Northwest Regional Lab in Oregon, and I got a hold of the Commissioner of Education's letter to this wonderful researcher friend of ours, and he gives all the history of the 18,000 goals that were developed at the Northwest Regional Lab and sent out into every single school in the nation. That was the beginning of goals-based, outcomes-based, competency-based, performance-based, and your listeners are probably getting pretty bored by now. Nah. Education. When you see that, no. That's Skinner. And that bypasses the brain. You know, and even Ralph Tyler, who was a behavioral psychologist, admitted that. There's no transfer. Mm. It's like with your dog. The only thing that he can remember is, you know, the next time you see the dog biscuit coming out of the box, he's going to sit. Reward-based animal training. You have to give them credit, but it's totally evil. It's the Soviet system. It works well for workforce training. There will always be 10% that they need, you know, good little communists, you know, out of the order at Yale or wherever you want. Mm? Mm -hmm. And we know who they are. They're in every country. They're the ones who are running the whole globe. And our children, with their wonderful talents, happy faces used to have, are the victims. Mm. Well, hey, I feel just so lucky to have been able to spend time with you. I know you've got to be feeling the fatigue. It's quite a marathon session, but I'm so thankful. Also, you know, got to give a shout out to our mutual friend, Russell, who put us in contact. Don't you love him? Oh, yes. What a wonderful guy. <laughs> Your book is highly, highly recommended. Again, it is a free PDF online. And then, of course, your son Sam's website is AmericanDeception.com, where you can find the PDFs and scans of many, many documents people don't know exist. And he has risked his life to get that out there. So you'd be better off spending some time checking it out rather than seeing what's on Netflix this evening. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to say, actually, it's really a James Bond episode. His website. It really is. It's fascinating. It's better than any film on Netflix. Full of espionage and intrigue, no doubt. Yeah, a lot of intrigue. Good <laughs> stuff. Now, look, you stay in touch. I hope you will. And I've really enjoyed talking to you. It's been fun doing it this way. I like it. You know. Oh, listen, let me ask you something. How are things in California with the fires? Bad, huh? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's all over the news and it is very bad, but it is not really in my local area, but it is very bad. Some people think that there's a coordinated effort there as well. I know. I know. Well, you know, when so many bad things go on, it's hard not to. I mean, the world is very different from the way it used to be. And so when we have this abrupt shift in events happening, you know, one after the other, you can only say, well, this didn't used to be this way. What's wrong? Right. You know, we may be wrong. We may be right. I don't know. You got to be skeptical. Well, stay in touch. And if you ever come east, you're always welcome here on the river. We're a very beautiful area, which is really conservation. There are only four places in the world that are like this. One is interesting enough, Sacramento, where the rivers meet. And then you've got the Tigris and the Euphrates, the Amazon, and here. Wow. <laughs> that would be amazing. So... Hopefully I can accept that invitation sometime and make good on that. It would be a real pleasure to meet you in the flesh. You have a standing invitation to come visit. You better do it before I'm dead. <laughs> I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Hopefully I got a while. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm going to let you go now and we'll stay in touch. Please do. All right. Take care of yourself. Okay, I will. You too. Charlotte Izzerbeat, people. An impressive resume and lifetime of compelling anecdotes. I obviously had a long list of questions we didn't get to, but I'm really just a crutch to lean on when a guest doesn't know what they want to talk about. And this was a big deal to me. Personally, I think John Taylor Gatto and Charlotte are the one-two punch of the education conspiracy. John, of course, is in his 80s as well. And that's why I had his editor, David Rodriguez, on. David was great. But I am so humbled to be able to add Charlotte Izzerbeat to the long list of guests that I can hardly believe I've gotten to speak with at all. 
Of course, this interview was hooked up by a listener who knows her personally. Thanks again, Russell. You know, one of the things I had in my notes that I didn't get to bring up, she touched on it and mentioned that she was really shocked by what her own kids were getting in public schools. But here's a more thorough quote from the book where she says, In 1973, I started the long journey into becoming a resistor, placing the first incriminating piece of paper in my education files. That first piece of paper was a purple ditto sheet entitled All About Me, next to which was a smiley face. It was an open-ended questionnaire, beginning with, My name is blank. My son brought it home from public school in fourth grade. The questions were highly personal, so much so that they encouraged my son to lie, since he didn't want to spill the beans, so to speak, about his mother, father, and brother. The purpose of such a questionnaire was to find out the student's state of mind, how he felt, what he liked and disliked, and what his values were. With this knowledge, it would be easier for the government school to modify his values and behavior at will without, of course, the student's knowledge or parent's consent. And to me, this was just a great example for a couple of reasons. One, this is 1973, well before I was even born. Two, we've all seen these sorts of questionnaires. So I think it's something that everybody's familiar with and can say that, yeah, that happens. Kids do get these in school. And three, in the internet age, when data and information is so valuable and always being used against us, it's a real eye-opener to see the clarity in that process and then just extrapolate it out to where we are now and where we're going with this digitization of everything. And I did try to get into the realms of social media and technology, but I'm not sure how much Charlotte really engages with the cutting edge of that anyway. But I think she caught this coming through the school system a long time ago and probably knows, but definitely wouldn't be surprised that these control techniques have been rolled out to everyone now that we have these damn smartphones. So, you know, I did want to get more of her thoughts in that area, but in the second hour... We went from education to skull and bones because she has a lot to say about that topic too. Sign up for the Higher Side Chats Plus, thehiresidechatsplus.com to get the second hour of this podcast episode and all the podcast episodes I do. But in this one, we got into the coming quota system, Charlotte's experiences with Bonesman as a young girl, them just being around the house her grandfather's involvement with opening up gold mines in South Africa, the forbidden books she wasn't supposed to go near, her son Sam's belief in aliens, the Heritage Foundation and the Council for National Policy, all great topics. And I did get to ask her if she thinks magic is real, which I didn't expect to come up at all, but I had to take the shot because I just thought it was a very THC question to someone who served at such a high level under Reagan, who respected magic, astrology at least, and also a descendant of at least two generations of Bonesmen. I mean, you gotta ask. So I loved it. Kind of have to give her a pass on some things because she is a product of a different era. She is 87 years young. I don't think she was hearing me all that well at times, but it could have been Skype. I wouldn't be surprised either way. I did also want to throw out there that the first Higher Side Chats joint session will be on the 31st at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time using Zoom. Anyone can call in, join the room, watch live, and it will be archived for Plus members. I will put the links everywhere I'm able to put them that's THC related. And you can come join live as I take calls. Hopefully you have crazy stories or some research thread you're on or some paranormal experience. I want to hear that stuff. So anything you got, we will chat it up. I'm hoping this is a lot of fun. I have gotten some great emails over the years about really fascinating things. And I hope that the calls are of a similar breed. But besides that, I got two more shows coming out to you this month. One return guest and one brand new one who is quite provocatively far out there in his positions. Doesn't mean he's right or wrong, but he pushes the proverbial envelope quite far. And I think you're going to dig it. Until then, I've done my part. Your move, education crafters, Skinner Method, sleazeballs, and Pavlovian people trainers. Your fucking move. 
Have a drink and a smoke Listen to the cast We shine a shiny spotlight Put criminals on blast The pinstripe men of mourning And families of finance DuPont, Windsor, and Rothschild The kids don't stand a chance The kids don't The kids don't stand The kids don't stand a chance I said the kids don't The kids don't stand The kids don't stand a chance We're looking for the answer To questions never asked So we come to the Carwood For the higher side chats The pinstripe men of mourning And families of finance DuPont, Windsor, and Rothschild The kids don't stand a chance The kids don't The kids don't stand The kids don't stand a chance I said the kids don't The kids don't stand The kids don't stand a chance We try to get a glance We're working on the numbers Resistance must advance The pinstripe men of mourning And families of finance DuPont, Windsor, and Rothschild The kids don't stand a chance The kids don't The kids don't stand, the kids don't stand a chance I said the kids don't, the kids don't stand The kids don't stand a chance The kids don't, the kids don't stand The kids don't stand a chance I said the kids don't, the kids don't stand The kids don't stand a chance